This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles, if you're into nerd culture, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, if you're into sports memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. They got everything from comic books to wrestling figures to signed sports memorabilia. Anything you need or want, it is there. They update daily, plus they ship worldwide, so please visit them at firstrow.ca. And if you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like NBA Jam, Red Dead Redemption, Resident Evil, Evil and so many others. Everything you see on their website is available in paperback and ebook format, so please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. If you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products, visit LegacySubs.com today and use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They got everything from sleep aid to muscle building, anything that makes you feel great or good, they have it. They are Legacy Sports Nutrition, so please visit them at LegacySubs.com. And if you want to support me directly and monetarily, the easiest thing you could do is Click on the device. It's embedded right there on the link. It takes you right to my merchandise store. It is at tpublic.com. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs, phone cases. Anything you need or want, it is literally there. But the easiest thing, the freest thing, the best thing you could do to support the show is please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest is a broadcaster, announcer, and TV personality whom you may have seen on the score, WWE, the Weather Network, MSG Networks, and ESPN, to name just a few. Fellow Canadian and Emmy-nominated Arda Ocal. Thanks for having me, man. How are you? I'm doing good this fine afternoon. How about you? How's everything, man? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, things are good, man. It's a, it's a beautiful early evening as we record this uh in new york state where i currently live but like you said born and raised in toronto and very proud to be (laughs) okay well before we get into anything how about this what are some differences you've noticed since moving from canada to the states not even work related just in terms of personal life that's so much different than living up here i would say the biggest thing is uh i mean i I think that, like, there's a lot of, like, misconceptions out there, I think. I okay. think that a lot of people are like, oh, they're so different. I'd say that the vibe is is very similar. I think that Canadians perhaps are a little bit more reserved. Sure. Uh, they're not as forthcoming uh, with information or just with chatter in general. And I think that that gets misconstrued as a lack of respect or being cold. Oh. I understand that that's not the case. Okay. I'm not saying Americans do that. I think sure. that that's just the conception that people have of Canadians is that we are cold and we are reserved. I think that Canadians are just less uh, likely to start up a conversation out in the wild than Americans. I'll give you a perfect example. Okay. Uh, in an, let's say you get onto an elevator with strangers, right? Sure. In America... And, 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 and all of this is pre-pandemic. You know, the pandemic sure. might have changed a lot of things, but pre-pandemic... You would be 
I don't know, 80% more likely to have a random conversation, small talk, whatever, with strangers in the United States than you would in Canada. In Canada, I wouldn't even think to start a conversation with people in the elevator (laughs) unless something happened, right? Like, unless some event happened, like something weird occurred or like you just saw something very random, you wouldn't really talk on the elevator, right? But like to a Canadian, you'd be respecting people's space. Like, that's how I thought anyway when I went to an elevator, you know? But in America, it's more like hey i'm just here we're sharing this experience of going up or down a few floors and we're stuck in this uh you know confined space together we might as well make the most of it like i I see both sides of it now and i don't think either side is right or wrong Mm -hmm. it's just the way that it is yeah but now do you find it different okay now you've traveled across canada you've seen everyone from coast to coast even up north too which we'll probably touch on throughout the podcast but I think there's a difference between Toronto Canadians and the rest of Canada because you're right. When us Torontonians are in an elevator and whatever, we like to keep our space. Even at a grocery store, we're in line, no one talks to each other, right? But when I went to even just visiting the States, because I was like a little bit standoffish going to New York myself, I get there. Everyone's so much friendlier. Everyone's so open. People are talking to you down the street. I'm like, oh, what does this guy want from me? Because you think someone's out to get you, but it's not, right? But I find, but out the outskirts of Toronto, it's more like how you're saying in the States where people actually talk to you at the gas station or at the supermarket. Sure. I I think another thing that just popped into my head that you mentioned that, um, uh, at least a lot of American people that I've met, uh, Americans love to give directions like if you ask them to go somewhere like how do i get here (laughs) sure it is a 20 minute conversation of oh here are the 10 routes you can take and wait a minute (laughs) what time of the day are you going there might be congestion here or i noticed some construction here so be careful here or maybe you might want to try this like it is like their favorite it's one of their favorite pastimes sure is is uh, is giving directions, which is hilarious. Like in Canada, it just feels very routine. Like, oh yeah, go down there, turn left. You know, True. or you just check on your Google Maps or whatever. But in America, it's a very social thing. I I don't know why, but it's h- hilarious to me every time I ask for directions. That was one thing that stuck with me too. Now, the one thing I did notice about every time I go to the states is the selection of everything and variety of everything I have, from foods to entertain everything. You name it. They have it down there now. But we have our stuff up here. What do you miss the most that we have that they don't carry down there? Harvey's Hamburger is number one. Oh, okay. Uh, There's absolutely nothing comparable. Uh, There is no taste that is even in the vicinity of a Harvey's Hamburger in America. Okay. Uh, I would say I miss Swiss Chalet, uh, particularly the Chalet sauce. (laughs) That is also something that's not comparable. I would say the pizza, pizza, creamy garlic sauce. Not the pizza itself, but the creamy garlic sauce is... A plus. I always loved it. I miss it. I would say the confectionaries, the snacks, the treats in Canada mm-hmm. are actually at a level above that of the United States. And I oh. apologize to all of my Amer- all of the American listeners here. <laughs> I would say things like ketchup chips, coffee crisp, oh, Mr. Yes. Big. Like there are just so many examples. Zesty cheese Doritos doesn't exist in America. And it's funny oh. because... Like, all of this right. should exist in America. Americans would love it, and I have no idea why it doesn't. Exactly, right? Because, yeah, every time I talk to American guests, they always say, like, all the different flavors of Mountain Dew and stuff that's down there compared to what we get up here. Like, But it's true. We have, like, I totally forgot about Coffee Crisp. That's such a staple up oh, here that we, we take for granted. Ketchup chips, I'm not sort of too much of a fan. I'm more of a salt and vinegar guy, and you can find that pretty much anywhere. But, yeah, coffee. Oh, Coffee Crisp. That's true. Okay. Yeah, there's the... There's the orange bag of Doritos in okay. Canada. It's called Zesty Cheese. Yeah. That orange bag doesn't exist in America. We have nacho cheese, which also is Ooh. in Canada, the red bag, right? right? Yeah, the yeah. red bag is in Canada. It's also in the States. But nacho cheese, or sorry, Zesty Cheese, the orange bag, is like the overload overload version of the red bag. It's like the excessive extra version and I'm thinking, <laughs> Americans would love this flavor. Why right? isn't it in America? Like, this is the, this is exactly what America would love from, this is turbocharging nacho cheese, and it doesn't exist in the United States. <laughs> I know. It's so weird. How about this one to blow your mind, too, that we totally forgot about? Fry Supreme from Taco Bell. I know. I know. <laughs> poutine in general. Like, Canadians, should, we should be proud of poutine. That is like the three things, the three things that Americans love. 
French fries, <laughs> gravy, and cheese, and you put them all together. I really don't understand how poutine has not caught on in the States. Maybe I should start a poutine chain. You're, you're giving me some ideas Ooh. here, Steve. Maybe I should like like th- make a, a chain of poutineries around the United States and introduce them properly. Yeah, you should. Okay, how about this? How about... <laughs> How about the ethnicity in the food compared to New York and Toronto? Because again, very multicultural. Is it on par? Because our food up here, I'm sorry, I will put it on anyone's level because oh, we got every terrific. race you can name, right? Is it yeah, the same absolutely. down there in New York? New York City, absolutely. Okay. New York City is a very metropolitan area. It reminds me of Toronto in that regard. If I right. want to get, I don't know, Turkish food, there's a restaurant mm. every five blocks. If I want to okay. get uh, Korean food, there's a Koreatown, Chinatown. There's, there, yeah, I would say that... Uh, multiple many most dare say uh, backgrounds cultures definitely in the food realm are well represented in new york and that is something that i took pride in growing up in toronto too right like you just feel a sense of pride that there's so many cultures represented in the city and i felt a part of that when i was there my parents are are turkish you're you're portuguese right Right. like there's there's like we we have so many i mean we have a little azores for crying out loud in toronto (laughs) i know like how this many little island, would, set like, of islands, I, often, I, know. I know, and I think of this a lot, like how many people travel to Toronto and they go to that area oh, and then shit. they see the Azores flag on street signs, yeah. and maybe that's the first time they ever even learn that there is a country or, uh, you know, somewhere in the world, and, and it's like, how come I've never heard of this before, and then suddenly they Google it, you know? Like, I always think about things like that. It's so true. And, like, even for myself growing up, I don't know if this was the case for you, again, being from immigrant background. I grew up pretty much where you said, Azor Town, right? In that area in between Little Italy and Azor Town. So it was like I was just confined to my neighborhood. So I don't know anything outside of that. All I ate was Portuguese. All I consumed was Portuguese until, obviously, I went to school and whatever, right? But now looking back, it's like, how could you only consume one type of food when there's so many out there? Like, what's going Like, Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's true. You're absolutely right. It's man, there's so much, uh, man. I like now. I, 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 yeah, I enjoy everything now. I'm just so glad. And Toronto helped with that a lot because it's almost like there's so many options so close to you, especially when you're downtown. Right. It's like how could you not try it all? So yeah, that helped a lot. Well, speaking of Turkey and Portugal, I have to apologize, my friend, because the Portuguese national team did eliminate <laughs> Turkey from the World Cup. Yes, but. They did. That was a rough sort of... What else is new? Portugal always beats Turkey in soccer. It's like 2008 Euro Cup, (laughs) 2-0 start, whatever. Like, like how many times has Portugal played Turkey in some major competition? It always ends poorly for Turkey. It always does. But that was a rough sort of playoff round there when you had, like, the likes of Turkey, Portugal, Italy. Like, you know what I mean? And then it's like, the one to come through is... I I didn't think Portugal was going to make it, to tell you the truth. I, I had high hopes as soon as uh, North Macedonia beat right? Italy. It was like, wow, okay, that was ins- that was insane. But I guess that Good was just them. a one-off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But come on, again, being from wrestling world yourself too, it looks like it's sort of a work. Like you know what I mean? You got Ronaldo in his last World Cup, still hasn't won the big one. You know, he gets pushed through. Now they get the, sort of the easy bracket, and it looks like they're going to make it onto the playoff round. Do you think they have an actual chance of taking it all this year and Ronaldo finally getting that World Cup under his belt? I'd like to see it. I think the pressure maybe is a little less since they finally did win that Euro- European Championship. Sure. So at least, you know, like kind of like Messi too, right? Like didn't he uh, – wasn't right. it the, uh, the – he finally won a um, international or, yeah, a championship. I think it was the Copa, Copa America or something, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Like – the thing is, is that like, and you see this in hockey too, really any sport players that don't win a championship, right. uh, especially when there's multiple to win, like in, in the soccer players case, there's sure. the domestic league, there's the champions league slash Europa league. And then there's the international trophies, right? And exactly. for players of the caliber of Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi, who are in the conversation of the greatest players to ever play soccer, Right, like they will forever yeah. be in that conversation, no matter how many players come after them. Right? Yeah. Like they are expected to win major trophies, no matter what team is around them. Right. Yeah, so exactly. For him to have won the European Championship, uh, I think that that takes the pressure off a little bit. But the World Cup is the World Cup, so I think that expectation from some people will always be there. 
Yeah, that is true. So when did you actually get into broadcasting? When did this come into your mind? You're like, oh, I want to do this for a living. Was this young? Was it throughout school? How did it all go down? So I never thought I could do this as a job. Uh, I always Ooh. felt like I, yeah, my parents are immigrants, uh, you know, very typical story in Canada. Yeah. They moved from Turkey. They chose Canada to live. Uh, my dad saw a poster uh, of Canada when he was doing his master's in Turkey. And oh, he wow. thought, hey, this looks really cool. And he actually uh, stopped doing his master's to move. He thought, you know, the North American dream, let's move. Let's sure. give this a try. Yeah. And that's exactly what he did. Um, he started at, at a Becker's, which is, a, you know, we, we know is a convenience store. And yeah. he was like stocking shelves. And that's wow. how he started his journey. You know, I, I give him a lot of credit because that's not easy to do, right? Of course. New country, barely know the language, right? And then you, uh, you start from there. And then so his version of, you know, dreaming is different than my version. Like his dream was I just want to be at a, in a better country, in a developed country, in a country that doesn't have any concerns of war or concerns of safety or poverty sure, and yeah. make something of myself and my family. So, you know, and he did that. And, and, and I was given afforded the opportunity to think of different things, including broadcasting, but I never yeah. really did. Like I didn't, the thing is I, I didn't grow up with any friends or family or any connection oh, wow. to broadcasting. Okay. I didn't know. Like I grew up listening to Bob Cole, Harry Neal, seeing Ron McLean, <laughs> yep. uh, you know, watching WWF and seeing Howard Finkel and and uh, and Mean Gene Okerlund and Gorilla Monsoon, Jim Ross, like seeing all these uh, people and and just kind of being like, that job looks amazing, but I have no idea how to get there. And it was just kind of like, oh yeah, I'll just in like I I thought of being the person behind the microphone way more than I ever thought of being an athlete. Wow. In that? part because I was a terrible athlete. Oh. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Sure. So, but uh, when I really started thinking about it, it was probably college. Like, instead of going out nights and weekends and, you know, uh, hanging out, going to bars with uh, with my friends, I right. was at, like, the local uh, newspaper and the local radio station just, like, kind of volunteering because I felt, ah, I'd rather do this. And that's sort of, looking back on it, that's probably where I started to really catch the bug. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's true. Like you said, growing up with immigrant parents, they don't believe in anything entertainment-wise. It's you got to earn your dollar. you got to work hard. And yeah, it's true, especially coming in with no connections, no nothing. Where do you, There was no internet back then. Like even in school, oh, exactly. it's not like they told you. Yeah, you could take sports and uh, sports physics or whatever they used to call it back in the day and then maybe lead into something else, sports nutrition. I think it was another one that you could have told. But nothing to like be a broadcast journalist. Like, yeah, you could be a journalist or a writer, but nothing behind the teeth like you know what i mean it's true it's it's people didn't realize how hard it was and kudos to you my friend because you are like to talk about do it yourself you've done it all like from the like wrestling world video game world you've called mma matches you name it but i want to touch on wwe first because i'm a huge wrestling fan as people know wrestlers been on and all that stuff you yourself when did you become a wrestling fan has this always been something throughout your journey as a kid as well or did it come towards late in your life I'd say the three things I loved the most growing up was hockey, video games, and pro wrestling. Oh, same here. Uh, and, and specifically the WWF. I yep. actually didn't know of any other leagues or <laughs> territories, so to speak, <laughs> until well later in my life. Probably when I was a teenager, then I started tape trading, and then I discovered oh, okay. ECW, for example, and I was like, what is ECW? And then I, I, I was never really exposed to hardcore wrestling. Right. And when I saw it for the first time, I was like, what on earth is this? But then I started to recognize people that had been in wwf and then that sort of the light bulb went off it was like wow there must be like a whole ecosystem of wrestling out there that i never knew about so then that's when i really started to and that was also like the start of like message boards and things Ah. like that so i was then starting to meet people who were like hey have you seen this match or have you seen this person or whatever and sort of opening my eyes to a whole new realm of wrestling and that's when i also started to discover indie wrestling especially around toronto Right. So I actually did a lot of uh, indie wrestling uh, in the two, th- like maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I started and did that for a long time, uh, which was a whole other, uh, you know, journey in itself, which was a blast. But uh, I would say, yeah, I, I've always been a wrestling fan. I still today, like, will always have conversations about those eras, the 80s and 90s. Uh, I love listening to podcasts that do, do deep dives on sure. events from those eras. Uh, I, I'm not so much a wrestling fan today anymore. Oh, okay. I would say that that chapter of my life is probably closed in terms of me regularly watching wrestling. Okay. But, you know, it, it, there's always something there. And I feel like I'm at a really good place that I can 
you know, come back every now and then, watch a show here and there. It's more the camaraderie, you know, seeing old friends and whatnot. But sure. the nostalgic feeling of talking about the old events, uh, I think, will always be there because I, like yourself, I grew up loving it. Yeah, and okay, so how about this? Even though you, you don't keep up with the product nowadays, would you go back in a working role into wrestling? Uh, uh, if the opportunity presented itself, like I've done a couple things with WWE since I left them. Oh, okay. Uh, and, 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 and yeah, the relationship is fine. Like the thing is, is like, and I remember this from interviewing people who left WWE when I was doing Aftermath right after wrestling, all that stuff. Right. Like people always have this immediate conception, misconception that it's always a bad breakup. It's always <laughs> exactly. a, a poor exit. <laughs> right. Something awful happened. I was just part of the sweep of cuts that happened after WrestleMania. Sure. And honestly, I kind of felt it coming oh, okay. uh, a couple months prior. Uh, I could tell from the tea leaves and whatnot, and, and I was fine with it. I didn't even – I got let go probably a week or two after that year's WrestleMania in 2016. Mm-hmm. I didn't even watch WrestleMania that year oh, wow. at all. And I was still working for the company. I took a, an outside gig that weekend. I hosted a film festival that weekend. I didn't even watch WrestleMania because <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm kind of checked out by this point. Right. And, and they didn't need me. I was off. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go do something. So, but like, no, like people ask me this all the time. Like, you know, was there anything bad that happened? No, it's just, just didn't work out for me. Like, that's just the way that it is. Not everyone's going to get that push and be on Raw and SmackDown and whatever, or pay-per-views. Sure. I had a two-year run. Did it go the way that I had envisioned it? No. Am I glad I was there? Absolutely. Even making it there, especially at that time, right. was so difficult. Like now it's easier than ever as compared to the way it used to be. Right, of course. There's a lot of ways to collaborate as an on air talent with WWE, and you don't even have to no. work there full time. Like I've done a couple things, like I said, since I left, and it's true. that's good enough for me. Like I'm. I would say that as soon as I left WWE, the wrestling chapter of my life closed, but it wasn't a sad chapter. It was just, didn't work out. Okay, great. I tried it. It didn't work out for me, but at least I could sleep at night knowing that, hey, I got there, which is still a feat in itself, and I'm at peace with it 100%. If I saw my bosses or whoever made the decision to let me go on the street, I'd shake their hand, give them a hug, and say, hey, you know, thanks for the opportunity, and also, let's catch up. Let's you know, sit down and have a have a drink or or or, or ha- uh, break bread and just talk about the the old days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I gotta know who came up with the name Kyle Edwards. Uh, that was okay. So the story goes: so I got hired, and I knew my name would change, and I was totally fine with it. Okay, that, so you knew off the bat. That's also a okay. thing, of course. And that's another thing. Like you can kind of tell, and and the way that it used to be, and I, I, I see a lot of announcers cha- uh, keeping their names now. Like, when I've done things since I've been Ardo Ocal, like, if if I ever went back as an announcer to WWE, I probably wouldn't change my name. Sure. And if they asked me at this point in my career, I'd probably say no, and if that was a deal-breaker, then I just wouldn't go there. Yeah, like, yeah. I think I'm Makes at sense. that point now where I'm just kind of like, listen, I want to keep my name. I don't want to be Kyle Edwards again or whatever. <laughs> but at the time, I was like, no, I want to work here. This was a dream of mine, one of my dreams growing up. And I'm totally fine with it. Back in the day, a lot of people will know that usually the first name would stay the same and then they would change the last name, right? Like yes. uh, Tony exactly. Luffman became Tony Dawson and, and Tom Hannafin became Tom Phillips and right. Renee Paquette became Renee Young, right? Like that was like the convention at least. So exactly. for me, I didn't know. I, I kind of felt like Arda would change as well. Uh, and so basically they said the week, the first week I was, I fell under the international office. So I did a lot okay. of things overseas uh, from Stanford and mm-hmm. they said, okay, uh, make a list of names and uh, we'll submit it for review. So I did. I just put together a bunch of names. I knew that two first names was very much a convention, right? Like whether it's a real name or not, <laughs> Tom Phillips, Josh Matthews, uh, Michael Cole, Jim funny. Ross, like, like you could see that that's like what they enjoyed. So I put a bunch of those on it. And then I, I really thought I could get away with having the last name Turk. Oh, like I really wanted to see if I could be like a John Turk or a sure. Dan Turk or something like that. Cause I thought that would be a nice nod to my background. So I put a lot of those there. Okay. Uh, so my boss submitted it, and this is the story that I've heard from three or four people. Okay. I'm going to choose to believe it, whether it's real or not, but I have heard this separately from three different people, so I'm just going to assume that this is the truth. Okay. I wasn't in the room, obviously, but I've heard it from multiple people. Right. So what happens is 
as we know, Vince McMahon is very hands-on with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So apparently after a meeting, they go through some odds and ends and like just a couple things that uh, he needs attention or that needs his attention. So one of the things was, okay, we hired a new broadcaster. His name is Ardo Cal. Here's a list of names uh, for uh, review. So he looks at, I guess, whatever version of the names was, looks at them all. Mm -hmm. And he's like, "Hmm, I don't like any of these. Oh. And so now we're back to square one. Everyone's like, okay, whatever. And then he thinks about it for a second and goes, we don't have a Kyle in this company. So as soon as he (laughs) says something like that, immediately that's it. It's a wrap. Like you're Kyle, you're done. Right. So the original name was (laughs) Kyle Richards. Oh, okay. uh, I got a call from my boss. My boss says, congratulations, you're Kyle Richards. Don't change anything yet. Just tell your friends and family. I'll get back to you. Okay. He did get back to me five minutes later, <laughs> and he said, actually, nope, Kyle Richards is out of the question. You're Kyle Edwards now. Kyle Richards is the name of a, a real housewife on television. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they, apparently they didn't Google search right. uh, fast enough, and they told me. I was So I was Kyle Richards for five minutes, and then I became Kyle Edwards. Oh my god! So that's how it happened. That's awesome. How about your favorite WWE moment as a worker? Uh, I mean, I, I was backstage at a few Raws, so I got to work. Uh, you know, do interviews. I didn't like a lot of my work happened in Stanford. Uh, working with the production staff there was a lot of fun. I, right. I created a weekly segment called "This Week in History." Uh, which was probably my favorite thing because they just okay. allowed me to write it and just kind nice. of like a creative vehicle to celebrate the like because WWE did such a great job of celebrating the big moments, right? Like, yeah. you know, the the Steve Austin era and the Attitude Era, the Monday Night Wars, like all of the big beats in wrestling history. Of course, everyone knows them by now. So I thought, well, maybe there would be some because wrestling fans are so loyal. Maybe there's some juice in. Let's pick not so covered events you know like here's the boogeyman's debut or here's bret hart's first title win or stuff like that you know like that doesn't get so much talked about but are still pretty significant of course so we did that it was me and Corey graves we did it basically we filmed like five or six of them at a time and we were already in stanford on monday for the raw pre-show back Mm. in the day so we just you know banged them out and uh, they're still on YouTube today. Like, that was all me, basically. Like, nice. just writing them and pitching the weeks and whatnot. And, uh, you know, Corey and I would ad-lib uh, here and there on certain things. And then I would say I'm most proud of that because it was content that I would want to consume sure. as somebody who enjoys wrestling history, right? So, yeah, that that was probably the thing I enjoyed the most. But the, the memories, I the, in terms of, like, memories... Uh, mm-hmm. SummerSlam 2015 was probably my favorite weekend because okay. I was at Barclays all weekend and I was, I didn't work much. I had like three interviews. So I was like free the entire time. Mm-hmm. I basically hung out at catering with everyone that was there <laughs> cool. and it was just a blast. It was just so much. And that's where like, you know, Scott Hall recently passed away and right. that's where like I, I met Scott Hall and we just sat and chatted for like a half hour. And at oh, one so. point he tried to convince me. He was like, Hey, Hey kid, Hey kid. Oh, you know that uh, as an announcer, if you take a bump on camera, you get extra money, right? Oh no! <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, uh, I did hear this, and he's like, "Listen, kid, kid, do it for your family, okay? Go to Vince McMahon and demand that you take a bump on camera. Think of the fat envelope, kid. Think oh. of your family." <laughs> so he was awesome. trying to convince me to go right. to Vince McMahon <laughs> and and demand, like as if I, like oh. Kyle Edwards, would go demand something right. of Vince McMahon, right? Like, hey, stop this shareholder meeting. <laughs> Because Kyle Edwards needs to talk to you about an announcer bump, oh, you know, for whatever goodness. the uh, couple hundred bucks or whatever. It, I don't even know what it was, but like <laughs> Scott, like tried to enlist people around catering to like right. convince me to go oh, and do God. this. It was just so funny. That is hilarious. <laughs> well, speaking of bumps and everything you've done in the rest of because you've what you've promoted, you've announced, you've yeah. been a, a manager. You know what I mean? Have you taken any bumps, or did you ever think in a like you said you're not athletic, but if you, in a perfect world, did you ever think you wanted to be a wrestler as well? No, never, no, never, okay. ever in my life. No, I, I always wanted to be the guy behind the camera. I always wanted to interview, to call matches. Uh, that was my dream. I never wanted to be a wrestler. I mean, I've taken announcer bumps, like okay. in the indies, to get slapped in the face. Oh, sure. Or, you know, get like take a finish from someone to get heat or whatever. But like other than that, not really, no. 
Well, speaking of promoting, you went up north, as north as they could go, pretty much to North Pole in the Nineveh. Like, how, what, what made you want to do this? And what was the logistical horror of getting the show off the ground all the way up there? So in the mid-2000s, I was really heavy into just wanting to promote events. I did it, okay. honestly, looking back, more so because I wanted an adventure, but even oh. more so because I wanted the Ontario indie wrestlers to have those experiences because they worked so hard, and I saw them work so hard locally, and the, sure. many of them had full-time jobs, and then at nights, and at nights they go train at the gym and put their bodies on the line just to learn wrestling, and then they'd go do shows on the weekends, travel eight hours, 10 hours, whatever it took to just go make a, a, a me- meager pay, right? Like in the Indies, you weren't making money. You were lucky if you get 50 bucks for a match, you know? Sure. So just to, seeing that, I was like, man, I, I, I would love for them to just have an experience because for many of us, and at the time I thought I was part of this too, like many of us, this might be our biggest moment, you know? Like this mm. might be our biggest memory. So I thought maybe we can create something. So... Uh, what happened was I, uh, while I was doing the, uh, I did a cross, actually, how did I meet, uh, there was somebody that I met, uh, his, ironically his name was Kyle, um, <laughs> I met him uh, at an event and he was talking to me about living in a Callowit in none of it, which is oh. in the Canadian Arctic, yeah. and so we just got to talking and I thought, what would it take to just ha- get a show up there, and then he just sort of helped me, you know, brainstorm, like, we got to talk to these people and this people, etc. So I just okay. made a bunch of phone calls. Uh, and I thought, well, what if we made it into just a week long chair uh, experience, you know, like how giving because they were very, they, uh, the, the community rightfully so was very concerned about people just going there making a dollar and leaving. So it was a full, like, not-for-profit event. We went up there, we, we donated the proceeds, and we did a whole week of, of, of appearances. Right. Every single school, we wow. went to the community center, uh, we hosted events, we even went into the juvenile hall, we went into the actual adult prison as well. Like, oh, we did a cool. lot of, like, motivational stuff. Sure. And that was on purpose. We wanted to make sure we left a good mark on the community. Nice. And... Yeah, and the big thing, honestly, the big logistical uh, challenge was getting the ring up there. Oh. That was the biggest thing, because there was no ring there, right? So we had to find a way. We had to talk to the airlines and see if there was anything that we could do, like cut a deal, such that we would be able to get all of us there, but also the ring itself. So uh, then we tried to find sponsors locally. Um, and, uh, we, we met a couple people, uh, one guy by the name of Ken, uh, he was like uh, very instrumental, especially later on, on, on future shows. Mm-hmm. He was a big wrestling fan and he was impressed that we were even coming there and he kind of wanted to see whether we would show up at first sure. and then once we <laughs> did and by night two, he was like, oh, this is incredible. The fact that you guys are here. So let's, you know, let's continue this and, 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 and make this a thing. So the first one, I, 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 if I recall, is January 2008. It was a great show. We did a, a weekend, so Friday, Saturday. And then we went back that December and then went a, a few times since. And, uh, yeah, I would say those are still still today, man. That was, like, you know, over a decade ago. But right. I'd say those are some of the most cherished memories that I have because otherwise I don't think I would have ever even thought to go to the Canadian Arctic. And I'm so glad I did, even from a human perspective, like sure. just to travel there and see what life is like there. And even what the landscape is like, it doesn't like you land there and it's like, unlike anything you've ever seen in Canada, you know, I could like only it imagine. just, it, exactly. Like it looks like everything is stuck in a time capsule. It's just <gasps> unbelievable. That's and just true. to talk to the locals and learn about Inuit culture as well. Right. Uh, it was a fantastic experience. Now, how was the fans in the audience? How did they react to the show? Is it like your typical wrestling fan or were they quiet? What did you expect versus what you saw? I would say that, uh, you know, a small percentage of people there were wrestling fans. I did see some wrestling shirts. I would say in large part, though, I think that people were just happy that some form of entertainment Ah. was there. You know what I mean? So it was very much like it was very much a, oh, wow, there's a spectacle in town. Because I think they were telling us the last time before then, I think it was the White Stripes that were in town several years ago. Oh, cool. And they filmed a, they filmed a uh, music video by the Hudson Bay Company outpost buildings that are there. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so I think that was like the last time or someone had been telling me that. Uh, and, and, and obviously they have, you know, different events like the Arctic Winter Games, etc. Things like sure. that. But in terms of, uh, especially from... I guess what would be considered mainland Canada, right, right. Uh, there isn't too much that travels up there. So I think a lot of people were just happy that there was 
something and the, the crowds were incredible we had to cap it at 600 just because of Ooh. the zoning laws and the code and the uh, codes but we could have had a right. lot more people in there uh, but the building codes etc but still it was an amazing amazing crowd oh that's awesome to hear awesome to hear well the other thing you mentioned that you were into growing up was video games and you've got to announce esports and cover esports and, and that genre and everything like that. Obviously, like I said, you, you're a gamer. How did you get into that world? Was this always, again, as a child or did you get into it later in your life? Uh, always giant fan growing up. Uh, I had an Atari as a kid. But I, my love really started to explode with the NES, with the ah. original Nintendo. Yeah, I was a Mario guy. I loved um, ice hockey and Blades of oh, Steel. the best, right? Yeah, so good. Like I still love those games today. Like on the Switch, I'll play the uh, the old Nintendo games. Yeah, of course. I love them. They're so much fun. But uh, yeah, lifelong, lifelong gamer. So your is your safe to say your favorite system of all time is the NES, or do you think the oh. more modern systems are better? Well, I, I'm a big Switch guy. I love oh, the okay. Switch. I love what Nintendo yeah, does so do in I. terms of like like Breath of the Wild to me is like one of the best games ever made. Like it's such a beautiful game. I've spent like hundreds of hours on it. I'm still a gamer today. Like anything, uh, big time, but. Like in terms of like nostalgic value or like what gives me the most joy when I like revisit it, the NES just because I played it so much as a kid and that was like right at the my wheelhouse, you know. Like I was a Sega Genesis guy. Yeah, me too. Uh, afterwards, yeah. So like it was like Nintendo to Genesis right. uh, to N sixty four, but like the NES was really where it like grew and that's where my love really like blossoms so that's why i have such a sentimental value or attachment to it is it safe to say that the switch is the greatest video game system of all time depends on who you ask i would say that it's definitely up there uh i i think a lot of people today measure the mark of a video game system by how advanced it is so a lot of people might say well it's not as strong as the ps4 or the xbox 360 or even the the current systems but to me here's the thing Nintendo does a fantastic job of refreshing its IP, right? Yep. Like, when you get a new system, you know you're going to get a great Mario game. You know you're going to get a great Zelda game. We're currently playing the new Kirby game. It's all great. Metroid, right? another it's all, one. Yeah, Metroid, like <laughs> Pokemon. Like, you're going to get these games, and they're going to be great. By the way, Tim Hortons, that's another one that I miss. Yeah, I saw you <laughs> drinking the Tim Hortons cup. Uh, that's another thing that I miss. I love Tim Hortons. Love lifelong, and I just miss it. And I buy uh, stuff on Amazon all the time. Okay, but hold on. Before we get back to video game, now that you brought it up, I I hate to say it, even though this is, well, this is instant, but, well, not instant. This is Keurig in the Tim Hortons cup. But I I prefer McDonald's coffee over Tim Hortons coffee up here in Canada. Oh, yeah. I would say McDonald's coffee is like one of the most underrated things out there. It's outstanding. Agreed. It's outstanding. But the frozen drinks, I'll go with Timmy's, though. I just miss Tim Hortons. Maybe it's more of a nostalgic thing, but... I stop at McDonald's like several times a week not to buy anything or eat anything uh, sure. usually, but definitely to buy the coffee or to get sides of Big Mac sauce. I do that too. Like oh. they give me little containers yeah, yeah. of Big Mac sauce and I'll put them on like, I don't know, grilled chicken and stuff like that. That's oh, like smart. one of my ha- life hacks. Anyway. Yes, back uh, to yeah, video games. So, uh, <laughs> this, this podcast is brought to you by Please Pay Steve McDonald's if you uh, are listening. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I would say from a from a like user standpoint, like the fact that you can like the Wii U was really like the bridge from the Wii to the Switch, right? Because right. it had like a portable aspect to it. I but think not that really. Nintendo, like you could take it as far as your washroom. Like, like well, that, what's that's that, the thing. Right? It, it was it was it was the gateway. Is what yeah, I'm saying. Like course. it was the it, it was they needed the it. Wii U. I suppose exactly. The Wii U walked so that the Switch could run. There you right? go. Good analogy. And and I would say that Nintendo's very good at. Once they jump into a technology, mm-hmm. they jump in with two feet and they really dive in. And also, they usually hit it out of the park. Like, I, I am very curious to see when they decide to jump into VR, Ooh. what those games will look like, you know? I've never even thought of that. You're right. Yeah. That's so true. So yeah, like, be- like, a, like a Mario VR, a Zelda. Imagine Breath of the Wild VR or like an open world Zelda game in VR. That it's would true. be one of the greatest experiences in our lifetime. Yeah, no kidding. You're right. You hit the nose out there because I didn't even think of that. Because again, and to me, my my barometer again, everyone has their own thing. It's like wrestling. It, you know, it's objective. Whatever you like, you like, right? But my barometer is fun factor, and I think yeah. having all the old games, like now, you could pretty much play all the old Xbox and PS3 games on the Switch because they're all porting them over. 
but yeah, they're low res and all that. If, if you're a specs whore, yeah, I totally understand. But to me, it's the whole portability factor. And like you said, that Nintendo touch. Like, yeah, I'll miss like the PlayStation exclusives, like the Uncharted's and the God of Wars, because those games I, I love to death. And if it wasn't for that, I think I'd be all on board with the Switch and I would never look back. Agreed, agreed. And that's really what differentiates the consoles, right? Like the PS5 and the Xbox uh, Series XS, like there's not much, too much different in terms of their power and what they can do, but it's really the exclusives, right? Like that's what makes you buy one over the other. So, and Nintendo, like they have the exclusive uh, market cornered with games that have high nostalgia values. So good for them. It's, it's a really good business model. Do you think it's ever going to get, I know they're in talks, but you know, with video games, it's always, you know, in talks, but until it happens, do you think it'll ever turn like subscription, subscription paid services like Netflix and stuff like that in terms of not having a console and you'll be able to play on whatever device that's available? The two things I think that are going against it, I do eventually, yes. The okay. number one thing, though, is the latency. I do think that there's going to be... The, the, the problem is is that when you do that, you are uh, beholden to the power of whatever your Wi-Fi or whatever your current system is. Sure. The, the thing is is that people are so used to not having any hiccups, right? Of course. Like, if you have a console and you're playing offline, you're expecting the game to run smoothly yep right and with like like google tried this right like a stadia right yep the idea was a great one imagine a world where you just pay twenty dollars a month you can play whatever games you want or whatever this (laughs) it is exactly the problem is if you're saying well you're actually paying this every month but you might experience some uh, latency problems there's going to be this and that like especially for a one-person game like not playing online, exactly. that's going to be a big problem for a lot of people. So when that gets solved, if it can ever get solved, that's going to be a big turning point. But also think of how much money these companies make I off know. of those consoles. It's true. Right? Like in an exorbitant amount. So <laughs> there's going to need to be a, a, um, a recuperation. It's kind of like WWE, actually. Like they took a leap with WWE Network, right? Yeah. Like they basically ate into their pay-per-view revenue by creating the network which ultimately to them was a very successful venture, and now they sold it to, to Peacock, right? So Yeah, exactly. I, I would say that I think it's going to be trending that way, and I think a lot of people are thinking that that will be the future, and it very well could be, but there are a couple of things that you have to fix in order to get to that point. Yeah, that is true. Now, how about this one quickly? If you could be any playable character in any past game, what game would you want to be in? Or would you rather have an original game based on you and your life? Oh man, I, I always I, I always had these when I was a kid. I would actually like draw Mario levels. Oh, okay. Uh, on paper, like I just like I, I I always had this desire to be in a video game. I I, I still do Me to too, be honest. Man. Like I, I I oh yeah, I would love to be a character in a video game or a voice in a video game. Oh, there that, you go. That is on the bucket list. Okay. It's on the bucket list. I'm I actively seek opportunities to be able to do this um, at any level. So. I would say I would like to be a character in a video game. I think that would be awesome. Turn me into a... Well, really, we should be putting Kyle Edwards into the WWE <laughs> video game. I mean, the fact As a that legend. this hasn't happened, right? <laughs> Put him in the Legends category. <laughs> Kyle Edwards should be in the video game. And not only that, Kyle Edwards should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, like, I, I, what, what, what is taking so long, WWE? You can't see this, but I'm, I'm hitting my wrist as if there's a watch there. Like, what's taking you so long, WWE? Oh, my you know, God. You have my number? Come on. Enough is enough. It's true. Keep a guy waiting. I mean, come on. <laughs> Watch, you're going to see at the next, next Toronto show, Kyle Edwards for next Hall of Fame sign. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We got to see Kyle Edwards for WWE Hall of Fame. And then, uh, and then like, in the announcer wing, oh, it'll shit. be Jim Ross, uh, uh, Mean Gene Okerlund, Howard Finkel, Kyle Edwards. Oh, my goodness. And, and, and they all fit perfectly fine with no exception on that Mount Rushmore of Hall of Famers. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, you you also brought up VR earlier. Now, something yeah. cool happened with you on ESPN where you, I think you posted it on Twitter, you were recently the oh, first yeah. ESPN host in VR? Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, the base, It was like an internal system, but like okay. the fact that like I, it was like I basically do like a sports center report uh, in this VR world is the best. Like, ah. I'm super, like it's just so super cool that I I have an Oculus. I play it all the time. Like okay. I'm a big fan. So like like during the pandemic, 
there was this boxing game in uh, VR called Thrill of the Fight. Okay, okay. Um, you're a box. I can see. I see the Rumble in the Jungle Roots of Fight that you're wearing. Like you would love it. Like it's it's okay, okay. anyone who's a combat sports fan. It really felt like a really cool boxing experience. Sure. And uh, they did a great job with the game. The only gripe that I have is that it was too short. I wish there were like two, oh. a thousand more opponents. Like, cause it was so much fun, sure, but sure. it was good. At, it was good cardio too. Okay. Like you put the thing on and you're just, and you're like walking around, you're actually throwing punches and oh, it's wow. like, it feels like a good boxing experience. Okay, okay. So anyone that's looking for a home workout, uh, if you have an Oculus, I suggest thrill of the fight. And I'm not making money off this, by the way. Like I'm just <laughs> promoting the guy that made it. Cause it's like one person that created it. Sure. Good for them. But it was a, yeah. So like, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, I'm a big, all this to say, I'm a big VR fan and I believe in what's to come in terms of VR and I can't wait for it. And it was a thrill to be, uh, as I understand it, or as I was told, the first uh, ESPN anchor to be in VR in a capacity like that. So, I mean, hey, that's something I can hang my hat on. And another reason why why Kyle Edwards should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Agreed, agreed. That's two ticks. Let's see if we can get one more before we we go off air. Well, speaking of sports, again, working for ESPN, so you got to work for the biggest company of wrestling pretty much in the world, the biggest sports company in the world now, you work for ESPN, well, coverage, that is, ESPN, sports-related, you said it, growing up, loving hockey, again, I assume you're a Leafs fan, correct? I grew up a Leafs fan, uh, okay. there, was a, there was a time, I would say, actually, going back to video games, I uh, remember in NHL 94, the Blackhawks were so strong in that game, like, Jeremy Roenick was so OP in that game, and right. Ed Belfour, and Chelios, like, there's yep. so many, like... Great players on that team in the video game. Uh, I, for that reason, I started to cheer for the Blackhawks because I was such oh, a video game guy and I loved okay. NHL 94 so much. Right, right. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be a Blackhawks fan because they're so good in the video game. So uh, I, I changed allegiances growing up for a little while. <laughs> but now, like, I think, like, so I, I worked for a couple teams, right? Like, I did the OHL for a while, then the right. AHL, I did the Marlies, the Brampton Battalion when they were still in Brampton. And then uh, I worked at MSG doing Rangers and Devils broadcast. And at that point, it's sort of like you just want the local team to win because uh, then the ratings are good, more people sure. are watching, and you just want you know you want them to have long playoff runs because it's just better for work, honestly, because you're there, you're involved. It just you know it, it increase everything. Uh, rising tide floats all boats in that sense. You know what I mean? So no, of course. Today, I would say I would love nothing more than to see the city of Toronto experience sports joy. Because other than the Raptors, we know that it has been it had been a long run since those nine, early '90s Blue Jays World <laughs> Series, right? So sure. So I'm happy that the Leafs are a team that people can at least uh, you know hope for a long playoff run. Whether that happens mm. remains to be seen. But listen, I mean, uh, I would love nothing more than to see uh, the city of Toronto win a championship like that uh, because I know what it would mean for sports fans in the city. So. Sure. In terms of that way, yes. Okay. Now, well, people know, but you obviously you don't know. I'm, I've always been a Penguins fan since the day I could yeah. remember. Grew up, always yeah. never liked the Leafs, and not that I don't like them. It's just I just choose not to. But everyone, see, this is the thing about living in Toronto. I'm sure you could contest to this. If you're not a Leafs fan, you're automatically an enemy. It, you can't have no in between. Like you know what I mean? It's like everyone's like, oh, what if the Leafs win the cup? You're gonna stay home? I'm like, no. Obviously, I'm happy that the Leafs win. It's like you know what I mean. But I don't understand why. The Leafs fans just didn't, like, in your case, that was a bit younger. But when we went through that dry spell for such a long time, we should have abandoned them completely. Like, you know what I mean? We still sold out. Prices were still going through the roof. Like, you know what I mean? It's crazy how, to me, it seemed like it was more of a business than a sports team. Because it's like, ah, why should we get any better if people keep coming? Like, you know, but there's something about the Leafs nation, as they call it, that they're so diehard. What do you think it actually, because it can't only be a Canadian thing. Because we have other sports, like we're spoiled up here, right? What do you actually think it is with the Toronto Maple Leafs that we all love them so much? I'd say a lot of it probably legacy, like just the fact that they've been in the city for so long and they do have a history of, of, of success. I mean, now it's well, half a century ago, right. but I think that it's been such a part of the fabric of the city for such a long time okay. that I think it's just like a, that makes sense. Uh, for, for a lot of people like sports is a big uniter, right? So You're right. the fact that hockey is such an important sport for Canadians and for people of Toronto, that's their team, right? Like, I look like if people ask like what markets in North America could sustain a hockey team, I would say the city of Toronto 
definitely could sustain I two hockey so. teams, yeah. maybe even three. Like that, that's how much of a demand there is for hockey in sure. Toronto. Obviously, like we won't get into the reasons why that doesn't happen, et cetera, or hasn't happened. But like th- that's how much there's an appetite for hockey. And, and here, like perfect example, me growing up, I went to hundreds of games in Buffalo. And by oh. far, that was where I watched most of my NHL games because I couldn't get tickets to Toronto maybe once a season if I was lucky uh once a year if I if if I got lucky somehow to go to Maple Leaf Gardens or to Air Canada Center at the time to watch the Leafs play but I would go to any NHL game in Buffalo cross the border for a few hours go uh watch whatever the Sabres and and Penguins or whatever it is it didn't matter to me because you're just watching NHL hockey and it was a lot of fun and and you could find tickets right so yeah, oh, by far. That's why I love uh, people from Buffalo. I love talking about that city, too, because it's like I've spent so much time there, especially watching NHL games. But And it's only an hour and change from Toronto, right? right? So, so it's yeah, it's, it was it was amazing. But, yeah, that just goes – that just speaks to how much people in Toronto love hockey. And it's good now because now, finally, the Leafs have that fi- – okay, I don't want to say finally because you had Sandine Gilmore over the years. Obviously, those were great runs. But with Matthews, the stats is there to prove it now. On yeah. a paper, he's pretty much, I think, the best Leaf of all time, if not on his path to becoming the greatest of all time. Do you think that now they finally do have a chance if they don't fucking screw up finally? <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, to me, honestly, it's all goaltending. That's, that oh. is the biggest question for the playoffs. For every team. That's okay, true. For every team. The Florida Panthers are a perfect example. They have perhaps the best team on paper going into the playoffs. Oh, okay. I mean, they they were already one of the best offensive teams in the league, and they added Claude Giroux at the trade deadline. I mean, come on. Like, that's just ridiculous. Forgot about that. But then... But but the question is, what version of Sergei Bobrovsky are Panthers fans going to get, or is the team going to get? If it is the previous playoff contending Sergei Bobrovsky, there might be challenges. If right. it's the regular season Sergei Bobrovsky, that team is going to be unbeatable. Very similar to the Leafs, if Jack Campbell or uh, Eric Schalgren uh, are 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 can be reliable and really good goaltenders, that team has a better chance. Uh, to me, it's all goal. Goaltending is the singular most important position in hockey, especially in the postseason. If you have a hot goalie, how yep. many times have we seen it in history? Yep. Uh, also, may I say, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Matt Murray, perfect example. Thank right? you, right? Like, that was on right? fire. Like, <laughs> exactly. And he was, what was that? was his rookie year. It was. It was. Like it was his rookie year. Well, it, it, it didn't like even the, count as his rookie year because the following I season, know. that was his rookie year. Right. Imagine that. He was right. the first, I think, goaltender in history to win a Stanley Cup before even being a rookie. <laughs> yeah, there might be a couple of examples of that, but it's very, very rare, right? It like, is. it's just Matt Murray had an amazing season, but like, that, but that just goes to show you how important that position is. It is. Right? So, to me, that's what it all comes down to. No, of course, of course, most definitely. And you also covered MMA and, like you said, combat sports and all that. Out of everything you've covered, and I'm not saying as a fan of watching the sports, of calling or even being a part of, what was the fun you had? The one you had the most fun with? Uh, I well, I mean, a lot of UFC events. The first one in Toronto, uh, oh, it was George St. Pierre against yes. Jake Shields. Love that, that was event. a fun one. Um, because it was just such a giant event. It was at the Skydome Rogers Center. It was just amazing, like just the vibe there. But right. I was also a part of the very first sanctioned uh, MMA event in Ontario. That was at Casino Rama. We oh, did it cool. for the Score Fighting Series. Oh, right. That was a blast too. I was the cage announcer for that. So that was like a little, a little bit of history there as well, uh, which was an absolute blast. That was so much fun. Uh, and, and, and and I loved the score fighting series because there were so many uh, fighters that were trying to get to the UFC that the score fighting series, there was a guy named Brendan Fife that worked at the score that basically organized it. And he was the reason the score fighting series got, uh, you know, a, a television time on the score. And it basically became the Canadian feeder system for fighters to really get fights that would that the UFC or strike force at the time would sure. notice. Right. right, like Jordan Mean is the perfect example. Jordan Mean was like among the more marketable, uh, you know, up and coming talent, so to speak. That uh, at, under the Score Fighting Series banner, he fought Joe Diesel Riggs one fight. Oh, wow. uh, you know, that was a UFC veteran, yep. and then uh, Marius Zaramskis, who was the dream middleweight champion, or I think it was middleweight or welterweight, one of the two. Okay. Uh, he was a dream champion at the time, and then. Um, uh, fought someone else, like another UFC veteran, and then finally got his opportunity with Strike Force. Like these kind of uh, fights, the Score Fighting Series was helping to book 
Uh, and there were many examples of that. And I loved that. Like, I loved seeing the fighters on the up and, like, getting oh. those opportunities and making the most of it and then getting that call from uh, the UFC and getting their chance, you know? So, yeah, I, I have a lot of fond memories, uh, especially at during that time covering MMA and, and being a part of it, being the cage announcer was a lot of fun. And you've covered, like I said, everything from top to bottom. I want to touch on these two because these, I don't know how you call these, table tennis and dog <laughs> grooming. Now, yes, I assume yes. you're not a huge fan of either or. No. Now, how hard is well, it? Table tennis to play, sure. But well, yeah, but how hard is it grooming, no. to go into it not having like a background, so to speak, of that uh, sport or genre? Yeah, so honestly, in this industry, you just say yes to everything, especially early in your career. Okay. Uh, I Sometimes you just parachute in and do events, and honestly, you just study as much as you can, and you rely on the mechanics that you've learned, especially as a host, right? Like you're sure. not In those kind of events, you're not really being called upon to be an expert. You're usually working with an expert. Ah, and okay, so gotcha. I, 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 I'm definitely like finding ways to make the broadcast as interesting as possible, sure. but still doing my homework. Like I remember my first gig at ESPN was doing the League of Legends World Championship. Oh, wow. And League of Legends, like I knew nothing about League of Legends. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know much about esports at the time either. This was sure. 2016 and I just oh, basically wow, okay. crammed League of Legends and learned as much as I could and hosted a desk with two League of Legends uh, uh, pros. And right. it was a gr- it was a blast. Uh, but like it just took a lot of studying and, and and I treated it like school, like just homework and studying and watching tape and just learning as much as I could before the events. And that's really what it is. It's just just studying and, and being as knowledgeable as you can. No, that's awesome. And how about this? Anything left that you haven't accomplished or on your bucket list? Uh, I would say like, you know, I mean, what I'm doing right now, like NHL and doing all the other things at ESPN, SportsCenter, uh, you know, the, the various uh, shows that I fill in on, et cetera. The NHL and SportsCenter are exactly what I would want to do. Like, if you said do this for the rest of your career, I'd be happy. And then anything mm. beyond that, I would, you know, maybe maybe it would be like different goals in life. Maybe, sure. I'll, I, you know, maybe I want to start a business doing something, you know. Maybe oh, okay. I have the entrepreneurial spirit and do something on the side that's like a, a side hustle. Something to that effect. Maybe I haven't really thought of it yet, but I'm sure that there might be something that you know, I, I want to scratch the itch at some point. But in terms of my broadcasting career, if I do NHL for the rest of my career, yeah, sure, I'd love to be a part of a Stanley Cup final sometime. Oh, nice. I'd love to, you know, do, you know, things like that. Of course, sure. I would want you. You got to, you got to make goals. You have to be thinking of those things. But where I am right now, I'm extremely happy. I'm super blessed. Like just the opportunity to be part of ESPN's NHL coverage year one of its return. Uh, to me is is an absolute thrill and an absolute blessing and like i couldn't be in a better position right now and i'm just absolutely happy no that's awesome there and besides being blessed obviously it's your hard work and your dedication and look calling dog grooming i don't know events and stuff like that right to get to where you are like people think it all comes overnight but people don't look at the full resume before you get there right yeah that's the advice i would give to people if you want to get into hockey uh start with dog grooming and then work your way to hockey (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there you go there you go well you ready for the worst story of the week my friend all right let's do it okay so how about this growing up did you ever get like a fake id or use someone else's or know anyone who had any i i knew quite a few people that made fake ids yes See, I never made one for myself, but I have heard uh, many people, yes. And now, I don't know if it's because, again, like you, having, you know, immigrant parents and, you know... Oh, I would get... Yeah, I would right? never be able to leave the house again. Not a chance. Exactly. So, I was always nervous 6 p.m. Of, yeah, I was always nervous yeah, of getting no caught. <laughs> never, ever. Okay, now, how about this one? This will, These two things separately will lead into this week's story of the week. How about... Would you ever do any, like, medical trial events or like go and be like a guinea pig for anything like i'm obviously not now but when you were younger or something yeah it depends i would say yes but it depends on what it is if it was like oh, oh we're gonna give you some medication and you might lose your hair or something right. like yeah. that no right? okay but if it was like <laughs> a non-life-threatening non uh image altering kind of thing like the side effect is maybe you'll have an upset stomach or uh okay, something sure. like that fine sure like you know i'll try a i'll try something for a few hours or whatever it is right. i used to sign up for those like surveys all the time at school just to oh, make did a couple you? hundred bucks oh yeah but that was more time than anything okay. right like it wasn't like a medical trial 
But uh, yeah, okay, a conditional yes is my answer. Okay, okay. I always wanted to, but I was always paranoid as well. So I, I never ended up to. So for me, it's no for both of them. So, okay. This week's story comes from Germany, where a 60-year-old man was selling fake vaccine cards. Oh, no. So how he actually did it. The man allegedly had himself vaccinated against COVID-19 approximately 90 times. Unbelievable. <laughs> In order to sell forged vaccination cards. But it doesn't say how he actually got those vaccination cards. I assume he either stole them or maybe it was an inside job. Someone sold it to him or something, right? And so they would write down the batch number and then he would forge like, and then put the other person's picture and all that other stuff on top of it. Cause I guess he, you know how people make fake IDs, right? So that's hence why I bring the fake IDs. But well, why would someone get vaccinated? Okay. You have all these crazy anti-vaxxers. Now imagine this guy going the complete opposite way, getting himself vaccinated 90 times. I, I'd like to see what the vac. Do the vaccination cards look different country by country? I would assume so. I would think because uh, so, that's a good question. How did the American ones look versus? Well, uh, th- that's what I'm thinking. Versus like the my Canadian vaccine even. card. Yeah, my vaccination card or the vaccination card in America mm-hmm. doesn't have a picture on it. Yeah, Canadian same thing. You have to show another so, piece of ID with it. Yeah. So I. So maybe the German he, the, the German yeah. vaccination card must be more involved to duplicate. Probably, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there, I, I don't know. I, I have not seen the German vaccination. Yeah, me neither. Card. It, it didn't but show if pictures. he's going to, if he went to those lengths <laughs> to duplicate it, then that means that it must be difficult to do so. Because in other countries, it doesn't seem as difficult. And I'm not condoning of duplicating course, vaccination of cards. Okay, I just want to say, <laughs> don't do that. With that said, I'm saying this person, if he lived in another country where it was easier, I assume right. he would just go to Kinko's or somewhere and just duplicate them in some other fashion. Wow, that's that's a that's a lot to go through. Is no, that even healthy? Like, is he alive? He's alive. He's fine. He's he's actually being de- he's not being detained, but they're going to take him to court and see because obviously this is against the law and he's going to get fined and whatnot. But the funny yeah. thing is, how he got caught was so what, what he would do. It was like in the northeastern or western part of Germany. So he would just go and around in circles and pretty much hit them all up. And but it would be like in a long time span, so they wouldn't recognize him. He screwed up big time and went to the same one back to back days. Well, yeah, that, if you're going to do this, if this is what you're thinking about doing, wouldn't you think of every single outcome and like plan properly? Like, why would you go back to back? Oh, wait a second. You look familiar. Hey, you were here yesterday. Like what? That's probably one of the first things you would think of if this was your plan, right? I, th- I would think so. But then again, if you're getting yourself 90 vaccine shots, I don't think you're thinking of long-term effects or long-term, I guess... My you know goodness. outcomes but hey but you know what this proves right now that hey go take the vaccine man it, it doesn't kill you apparently <laughs> 90 times wow i can only imagine we're gonna hear stories of this Crazy. guy in like five years from now right oh he's either gonna be oh. either with superpowers or he's gonna be completely useless <laughs> wow well arda plug your stuff where people can find you anything you want to share promote floor is all yours my friend uh, thanks a lot. Uh, no, it was it was nice being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, shout out to you. I know that we uh, went through a couple of scheduling things. It was all on me, so I appreciate uh, you being patient with me, Steve. No worries. Uh, and uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we had a chance to talk. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at Arda. That's it. Uh, all my stuff is usually there. I usually post whatever uh, I'm doing there. So uh, if you're looking for dad jokes and, and hockey <laughs> opinions, then uh, follow me on Twitter. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them, it most definitely helps me out. And most importantly, please, each and every week, if you haven't done so yet, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. One last question before I let you go, my friend. If you could go back and be a part of any play-by-play team for whatever game or match... What would you have liked to call? Uh, probably a Muhammad Ali fight. I would oh. say fight of the century. Muhammad oh. Ali was my okay, like, okay. my my biggest inspiration. You're actually, I know people listening can't see this, but I have a Muhammad Ali. Where is it? The Wheaties box right here. Oh shit! And then I have like a bunch of Ali stuff here. 
Like I basically what I'm saying for people who are only listening to this, I have a bunch of Ali stuff, posters. Oh, I collect same. Ali memorabilia. Like I'm just a big Ali fan. Uh, he was one of my heroes growing up. Uh, you know, just like everything about Ali to me, like professionally, was incredible. So I would say, like, like I love the story of the fight of the century. Him and Frazier at the Garden, the first right. one, was so in demand that someone like Frank Sinatra got a photo <laughs> credit. You know what I mean? Like he was a, he got a photo media pass just so he can get into the building. That's crazy. And one of his images made the cover of uh, I think it was Life magazine or something like that. Right. So. I would say I would love to have been on a broadcast team or even interview Ali uh-huh. in the ring after some of his fights. I think that would be that would have been a bucket list item or, or if I could go back in time, that's what I would have done. Awesome. On that note, he's Arda. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace. Peace.